Hello listeners of Rocket Fuel, this is not an edition of Rocket Fuel, we're still in a, a between the series break, but what we thought we'd do is bring you some special content that the people behind Rocket Fuel have been working on. The guys at Rocket host a, um, we host a panel once a quarter where we discuss, it's entitled Speaking the Language of Youth, and we discuss various things around youth marketing. We ran one of those panels quite recently, and what we wanted to do is bring you some highlights from that panel. It was hosted online, these being COVID times. You'll hear from Hannah Snow, who's a content creator on both TikTok and Instagram. We've known Hannah for a little while, and we speak to her about kind of trends and, and what people are seeing in terms of content for, for young people on those platforms. We also talked to Fran, Fran Scudder, who's Senior Partnerships Manager at Warner Media. She looks after brands like Cartoon Network and we talked to her both about kind of the wider and more broad TV industry as well as what's going on at Cartoon Network and some of the other channels she looks after. But first we speak to Kat McKenna who's works in marketing, she's a brand consultant, used to work in the publishing space and uh, Joseph Wusu who um, is marketing and social innovation at Experian. Um, three great sessions, three really good conversations. I hope you like it. Do stay tuned, stay subscribed to this feed. We're going to come back in about two weeks' time, and our first guest will be Adam Harris. Adam is the global head of brand partnerships at Twitch. So stay tuned, and I hope you like this uh, panel. Have a listen. Hey. Hi, everyone. Hi, morning, everybody. How is everyone? Very well. How are you, James? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, spending your Friday morning with us. I know that we're getting questions in as we speak, and they're going to come through to me on my mobile phone in real time. But if you do want to ask either Joseph um, or Kat a question, or put a wider discussion topic to the group, that would be really useful. Um, why don't we start with this, Joseph? Let's come to you first, if that's all right. First of all, tell us a bit about your role at Experian because you're very firmly plugged into the way that teams particularly are thinking. And I was just wondering if you can share any insight into the audiences that you speak to and whether this has impacted or affected your marketing strategy. So um, at Experian, I have a weird job where it consists of marketing but also social innovation. And um, for a legacy business like Experian, social innovation is actually talking to young people for once. So um, figuring out how we can start that conversation early, engage our audience, and then when they're at the right age for our products and services, that they understand the value they can derive from it. So the audiences that we're focusing on are kind of that late teens, early 20s. So roughly 18 to about 25, the very oldest. And to be honest, I was in a fortunate position where I hadn't, I, was, I spent most of last year doing a lot of research trying to understand this audience. And as soon as lockdown hit, was right when I was about to start doing some work. So I could actually just wait and see how it sort of shaped up a little bit to define my audiences and figure out who to engage with, how to engage. And um, honestly, it's been, it's been a really interesting ride of trying to navigate that in, in a world of so much changing very quickly, but also the vernacular changing very quickly as well. So at the beginning of some of our content, we made the mistake of confusing what a lockdown is versus a quarantine. And then having to figure out the difference and change a lot of our creative along those lines. So, yeah. 
Got you. And Kat, you've been working in the space of reaching youth and children's audiences for ages and ages. Um, <laughs> give us an example of how, if you like, you think this, this target audience's behaviour has shifted and, and whether it's impacted or changed any of the activity that you've been running over the last few months. Um, in terms of the behaviour of the youth generation, I think in, I actually think in terms of teens and young adults, it's not that different in my opinion you know they are still attached to their phones and their digital platforms and I think speaking to young people is in that bracket is always a challenge anyway because you're, you've got to cut through on you know some of my other fellow panelists um brands like tv and, and social media I think the family area has changed more dramatically I think that primary age group is is feeling difficult and um kind of just just very uncertain i think the the avenues that we used to take in that family bracket are the ones that i'm personally finding the most challenging to kind of cut through and understand where we need to go next i get you i suppose the one kind of almost change is almost those households with children in them were always fairly child focused but that's almost been amplified by a thousand right it's, it seems to be everything revolves around the wants needs and desires of the children whether that be homeschooling or deciding what you do as a family that day yeah and i think i think for me it's more about the you know the fact that parents are i think the start of lockdown was very much parents going oh I'm all in on my children okay oh, all this stuff and you know I think you know I work for brands like World Book Day and you can see the numbers on um their website going like zoom you know at the top of lockdown and throughout which is amazing for a children's brand against a very you know depressing platform but I think now we're sort of seeing is it is it responsible for brands to ask parents to be going out and about doing things and you know that kind of experiential I mean stuff that we've talked about James that kind of experiential and going out and just having these kind of fun child experiences is that the right thing to do at the moment and I think even in the last four if we'd have done this panel three days ago I might have been saying something different but it, it definitely feels ever shifting and I think we've got to be very um on our on our feet as marketers at the moment yeah I, I suppose being nimble being dynamic is key I mean you know there's the simple stuff where at the start of the first lockdown uh, budgets that were identified for things like cinema and outdoor and experiential events outdoor were shifted towards a digital focus but then kind of in the more almost in the thinking and in the environment we were very much talking to our brands that we work with and clients that we work with about being more useful and being less salesy. I mean, prime example, we work on Merlin Entertainment. And one of the things that we said is, A, it's important to keep advertising and keep talking to your audiences, even though you have nothing directly to offer them by way of your core asset. But we did one post lesson plans from the Sea Life Center, for example. So an example of brands being useful. Um, Joseph, I want to come back to you and I want to talk about if you like this need for authentic content we've seen tv ads made on zoom now is authentic another word for not super expensive or is it harder to get to authenticity than that i think in some cases it definitely is oh we don't have to invest so much in production now because people will understand but i think authentic in the wider backdrop of, the, of all the societal things that have happened this year have become more apparent this year authenticity is more important because everyone has switched to digital, everyone is trying to have that conversation. But also, the receipts are there almost, because nothing is, everything lives forever on the internet. If, if you haven't spoken about this before and all of a sudden it's your favorite topic, it doesn't seem genuine. And, and from, from my perspective, 
it's always we're trying to balance that marketing piece with that innovation piece where the focus is on consumer engagement and pushing brands, but the innovation piece always calls us back to what's the value proposition to the end user? Why are we actually creating this piece of content? Why is this going out? And are we delivering on that value promise first before we start talking about, hey, come and buy our stuff? I get you. So it's about an understanding of the journey and the steps that the audience are taking. Um, I'm also guessing, you're right, Joseph, I think the one thing that we've seen definitely is people are looking to measure the activity that they're doing. Content landfill was a big turn of phrase about four or five years ago where every brand had to have their blog, their YouTube channel, and actually there wasn't a whole lot of thought what people were doing with it. So I definitely hear that. Kat, we've briefly mentioned budgets. Why don't we explore budgets? Um, do you think that we're going to see budgets reduced for 2021? Do you think that actually that how can we how can we work with this? And do we think that the economic downturn has actually presented any opportunities for some brands? I will preface this by saying I'm no longer in house, so I can't speak for in house budgets. I can sort of speak uh, academically, I suppose, with my past experience, and you know, I know as I was leaving publishing there was a real like oh god slash the budget slash the budget slash the budget i think i mean what i'm experiencing from a freelance perspective is i think people are now like oh god we've got to make this work so let's let's hire let's bring someone in to kind of make it their focus so i think in that way budget's probably let's it hasn't it hasn't bothered me at the moment let's say that i've been really fortunate in this sort of strange situation but i think um in terms of opportunity i actually think what joseph was saying kind of lays back into this because i think the biggest opportunity that we've had out of this year as marketers is that we're not just doing things as we were you know it isn't just cookie cutter marketing it isn't just everyone's had to think quite hard about how to really be authentic and how to actually what does that mean like you know it's not it's not good enough just to slap an outdoor poster you know on the tube these days because no one's there it's not okay we can't just you know do sampling because people might not want to grab a sampler from someone who you know while social distancing so i think there's that's the biggest opportunity from my point of view whether there's less budget or not i think we're all having to think about how do we really reach people how do we really, what is happening now and how, you know, I think people have had to come up to speed quite quickly. I think people who work in the digital avenue are quite lucky because, you know, like it's what we've done for years. So here we are, you know, let's use it. But it's, um, I think that's been for me and that might dovetail with going freelance as well. I feel like I've been more creative this year than I have in many years. Joseph, I want to touch on with you something about um, kind of brand purpose versus virtue signalling. And Kat, feel free to come in on this in a second. We've discussed authenticity. We've discussed that not every piece of content has to cost a million pounds. We've discussed about measurability. But also, increasingly, there seems to be a desire for brands, businesses to stand for something. And particularly with a youth audience wanting to believe in the brands that they work with, how do people avoid the pitfalls of wanting to stick two thumbs up to every good cause? How, where, where do we get to in terms of this brand purpose versus virtue signaling place? And where's it gonna go next year? It's interesting, I see this as more of a function of the, of the entire business rather than purely from a marketing perspective because we saw people try and do marketing with causes and put their foot squarely in their mouth throughout this year. But particularly with the backlash that L'Oreal got and other brands from just trying to write another social media way. Well, I'm mentioning no L'Oreal's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but treating it just like another TikTok trend, like, oh, cool, let's put something out. I think it's more a question of what do you as a business actually stand for? And by a business, I mean, what do your people care about? What is important to them? Because internally at Experian, I literally said to the global social media team, don't say anything about Black Lives Matter or, or anything in relation to race unless there's real stuff happening internally to make us a more a truly diverse business because we're just not, right? So if it's not authentic to who you are, it will be apparent. I think it always comes back to the question of understanding who you are as a business or what your people are focused on and then letting that lead the conversation and also letting those people be part of the conversation. So now we, we, we created the first um, a Black Networker Experience UK and I, and everything that goes out in relation to the Black community gets sense-checked by the network. Not because we're the masters and, and arbiters of everything Black, but because we have a different insight and perspective. We know how things may or may not land, and we've seen how brands have got it wrong and how that felt. So it's more about having that conversation internally, truly, rather than it being a marketing exercise or uh, a ride-waving exercise because of a trend, and then making your decision as to what happens next. We've, we've actually had a point come in from one of the um, delegates here, Good morning by the way, um, to basically say that um, it's a chap called Adam and he's made the point rather articulately that actually often brand purpose gets a bit confused with brand identity and actually often a brand purpose is just knowing what the brand stands for, not having the brand stand up for more causes. Which I massively agree with, Kat. What are, what are your thoughts on this? Can we get trapped in a quagmire of wanting to be yes to everything? Yeah, I completely agree with everything that Joseph said. I think, and I, I mean, the one thing I would add is I do think that in these times that perhaps the kind of, you know, heads of houses should trust their marketing teams as well, because I do think there will be communication saying this is not the way to play that message. And then sometimes that will be overridden by the, I guess, the... I don't say the egotistical need to be part of that conversation, but that's how I'm going to word it. Um, it's not always right that your brand inserts itself into a conversation. Publishing is really interesting at the moment because I think it's just, you know, been laid on this year. <laughs> Everything that, you know, every criticism publishing could have received this year, I think it has received, particularly in terms of diversity. It's a very necessary change in the industry. And I, I think it will take a bit of time to get there still. Um, but I think listening to your wider teams and um, making it part of a bigger conversation is important. In terms of a brand just being a brand and not necessarily engaging in that kind of conversation, I think it's right. I think if if you don't have that background anyway, um, so I, I worked on a book last year um, that I've spoken about many times called Plastic Sucks by Dougie Pointer. Dougie had a background in environmental activism and spoke about it all the time. It was a natural fit for his brand. We had to do a bit of work on how to get there, you know, to speak to his brand and help them understand what he was doing. But I think if you just shove someone in the middle of a kind of, you know, a conversation they've never been part of before, people can see through it fairly quickly, especially because there's so many authentic, real influencers out there now who are just there, you know, people like Dara McAnulty, Greta Thunberg, all those people. And they've become a brand by accident almost of sharing something that people care about. Yeah, I want to stay with you just for what, what the next kind of question, and then we're going to have to type this section. Um, I wanted to ask a question around telling brand stories. Um, Kat, I know you've got, a, you've got an easy job working in the publishing space. I know you're moving on from that. 
and Joseph works for Experian, which I suppose if you were to see the words Experian without knowing the brand story, without knowing the hard work Joseph has done, you would think he would have a very tough gig. Yeah. Is it easy to tell a brand story when the stories are written there for you? <laughs> it's easier, yeah. <laughs> I've worked on non-book stuff this year. Um, you know, the, the joy of books is that you've got content and you've got, in, and, and often why brand partnerships work so well for books is because other brands want a story so they'll come to a book and be like oh great amazing I've got a character I've got this um you know you have to put thought behind it and I think the harder job in publishing is longevity of a brand and, and keeping the story going when the story can feel the same all the time um and there's more competition now especially in the children's space but yeah I do you know I mean, it's why I love working on books James it's because you've got that story at the heart of everything and you can speak to consumers in a really um creative and you know kind of fantastical way sometimes so I'm going to say yes it is easier I highly expect um and I'm sure we'll hear that from the other guys Joseph, let's come to you finally then. Tell us your thoughts on telling the brand story. It's not about always being selling. And then also, if you could conclude, why don't you give us one or two top tips that we can look forward to for 2021 and things that marketers need to know when looking at planning their activity? So in terms of the brand story thing, with Experian, the challenge is that we, as much as people understand us, in theory, everyone says credit score or thinks I work for a travel company, Expedia. The brand story piece for me is actually telling the consumer story and showing the value that we offer. Because we don't, if we talk about data, we talk about credit scores, we lose people. What we actually should be saying is we help people buy homes, we help people start businesses, we help people fund their educations. Because the data we provide and all of that stuff is the bridge to all of that. So that's the story I focus on, the consumer benefit side what the actual value proposition of our service is because no one cares what their credit score is they can go and buy what they want so in that regard that's where the story begins and ends for me with the consumer with the beneficiary of that in terms of recommendations for 2021 i would say adding more innovation in terms of constantly finding a tighter loop to get answers from the consumer to get that instant feedback as quickly as possible and be iterative in your approach and all of us from a budgeting standpoint are going to have to show more and more of that commercial benefit as to why we deserve this money. So the, but the more feedback you're getting, the more engagement and tying that to other things within the business. So understand the other moving parts within the business and how yours fits in more succinctly. So with my project, I've tied it to our CSR agenda. I've tied it to our, our consumer business growth agenda. I've tied it to our data agenda to tr just try and make sure that whenever I ask for this six-figure budget, you understand where it's going to really add impact. Sure. And Kat, one or two key pointers for activity and, and key watchwords that we should be thinking of as we plan activity into 2021. I think my two things I'm going to close with are, it's very generic, but don't be afraid to think outside the box now. Be creative, embrace your creative marketing brain. Um, and the other thing I'm just going to say is I think don't be afraid to say I don't know this next year because I feel like this is the first year where I've had to literally just hold my hands up and go I don't know like I, what is going on who knows and I think asking you know using the power of teams using the power of agencies like Rocket um, to help but just to help you know I think that collaboration is really important because we're all riding this strange wave together and it's it's not easy um, so I think just kind of a bit of creativity and a bit of kind of collaboration and we'll see is, is important, I think, to take us through 2021. 
Creativity and collaboration are good watchwords to leave this section of the chat. Thanks, Kat. So I really appreciate that. Um, thank you, Joseph. Thank you, Kat. I really appreciate you taking the time to join the panel and we'll, we'll see you very soon. This is the bit where we would get a round of applause, but we'll have a, <laughs> an, an incredible silence, what would it be in a virtual event. But thanks, Joseph. Thanks, Kat. We really appreciate it. Fascinating discussion. Kind of being honest the way that I thought it was going to go. Kat's a real expert at frankly making small budgets matter. Joseph's a real expert of plugging right into the minds. And that thing that he was making the point about the iterative process and getting constant feedback is really, really key. When we were pulling together the delegates for this panel, I rather shocked the team in that I was desperate to have somebody from a TV background. Yes, remember TV? Um, we're really lucky enough to be joined by Fran. She is um, Francis Scudder, Senior Partnerships Manager at Warner Media. And some of the channels that fall under her remit are the Cartoon Network, Cartoon Ito, that's kind of Cartoon Network's elder sibling, uh, and Boomerang. Um, Fran, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. No, no worries at all. Fran, I was really keen to get somebody from the TV space. Do you count yourself as a TV person? What does your role involve? Um, yeah, I do count myself as a TV person, um, very much so. I think my role is very much about working with um, other brands to sort of bring in anything above the straightforward advertising, you know, your straightforward sort of 30 second TV spot with brands to make sure we're telling a story. As Kat said, it's about um, kind of putting our brands together, making sure that we're kind of getting that, it's a horrible term, but brand rub, um, you know, the reason for people coming to us. So anything that's on TV, that's just sort of slightly more than just a selling pitch. It's about kind of um, this is content and then driving people elsewhere to engage more deeply with things. Okay. So kind of the, um, to use old-fashioned turn of phrase, sponsorship, promotions, branded content, partnerships, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, Frank, go on. No, no, that's absolutely, that's exactly what it is. Sponsorship and promotions is what we used to go by. Yes, okay. Um, before we kind of drill down and get into the weeds on, if you like, your role, as a TV person, self-declared, <laughs> how do you think TV's done this year during lockdown? We've seen some brands come to TV that had never been near TV before. We've seen viewing habits change. We've seen the highest rated programme over the summer was the BBC Local News. These are not normal times, are they? But do you think it's shown the power of TV more generally? Absolutely. I think, I mean, the very fact that we're all sort of captive viewers has obviously showed that we're all kind of, we're all in our houses and there's that one constant that, you know, we're watching TV, we're watching TV to stay connected with the world. So not just, you know, trying to alleviate the boredom that, like you say, the, the news coverage has been sort of a central point of everyone's lives. But saying that, we saw that was very much at the start of lockdown. Um, we were all sort of focused on TV kind of to get our contact with the outside world and know what was going on. But that actually waned pretty quickly. You know, that initial peak kind of died down because I think people were just trying to move away from the realities of it. You know, it was about sure. so TV's just been a central point um, for everyone, I think. 
I want to look at kind of either changing behaviours around TV as well, but also how TV brands are changing to reach the consumer. I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Cartoon Network are even looking at programming programming beyond cartoons. They're looking at live action stuff. So it's bring that to life for us. Why is... Because we kind of, it used to be quite simple. ITV was shiny full game shows. BBC was things the commercial TV couldn't do. Netflix was long form dramas. But now Amazon's doing sport. Cartoon Network's doing live action. What's going on, Fran? Help me. Yeah, it's been a bit of a, a strange time. I mean, in a lot of ways, we're very lucky in that, you know, because we are sort of 99% animation, mm. we haven't had to sort of shift too much in sort of production and kind of catering to a different audience like that's why people come to us they expect to find that but it's definitely um something we've had to develop in terms of um kind of reaching people and making them feel more part of it you know it's very animation's great and it's it's you've got that constant pipeline which is extremely fortunate that we've um yeah we've definitely had to sort of branch out into a couple of sort of new what we call you know live shows so we've got um CN in the house, which is kind of a Zoom-based um, quiz show, sort of getting our um, super fans to really engage with things. Um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a challenge. I think we've had to shift slightly, but because we've got other platforms supporting TV, so TV is obviously that's our focus. But we have other platforms, so we have you know YouTube channels, we have websites, we have apps, we have games. You've kind of got that whole um, halo effect you know you kind of everything is feeding into the same thing yeah have there been brands during this year that have impressed you whether they've broken the mold of a tv ad whether they've done something that's almost more all consuming than a pure play advertising campaign feel free to name something you have worked on if you want to showboat or feel free to point at something else that somebody else has done but yeah what's been good do you think um I mean, I, I am going to have to, yeah, name drop something of ours. This, That's fine. <laughs> we've got an initiative called Fun at Home Together, which was born out of this, you know, all these poor parents trapped at home with their children. Um, it wasn't just a matter of sticking kids in front of the, the TV. We wanted it to be a much more um, family-involved uh, activity. So we've got a series of um, really fun, um, creative activities that we've been pushing on air and then getting kids to go online and actually sort of engage with things, upload content, um, you know, user-generated content was obviously like the big thing the last few years, but this has been much more about kids and parents playing together and creating together. It's got an educational element to it, which is another thing that we think has been so important. Again, parents have been a lot less um, strict about you know, TV maybe used to be something that was a treat, that they weren't just parking them in front of. But if there's an educational element and sort of there's a socially conscious element, as Joseph was saying, then I think, um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely sort of seen as something more valuable. Um, I would like to say, though, I did see this amazing Lego advert, um, the Rebuild the World. Advert. Oh, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. It's really wonderful. And it combines all of those things that have been sort of touched upon, you know, sort of there's optimism there's a socially conscious um level to it uh you know kind of innovation it, it's really beautifully done 
And it's funny, isn't it? Because you always cry at films on a plane because of the altitude. Almost, I think, lockdowns had that effect on people's emotions. I mean, I bet if I were to have spoken to you on this panel last year, you would never have said that a Lego TV ad could have made you emotional. But these are, these are different times we're in, aren't they? I want to jump on kind of looking at a TV business, but feel free to take this through the prism of some of the brands you work on. We, we do a podcast called Rocket Fuel, where we talk to people that influence youth culture and youth marketing. And I was lucky enough to have a conversation with the TV executive and broadcast Andy Pe broadcaster Andy Peters. Yes, from the Brim Cupboard. And he, I made the point to him that I think channel brands are becoming less relevant. I think that my darling daughter, when she was two years younger, would pull Peppa Pig towards her. She wouldn't pull the Channel 5 app towards her. He actually thundered back saying, no, I actually think channel brands are becoming even more relevant because when you see it's a Netflix show, you know what a Netflix show is. You used to know what a Channel 4 show is. Where do you stand on that? Do you have brand loyalists for the brands that you work on or is it just a, a way to get the content to them? Um, and it's a really interesting um, discussion. I think when, we, when we've been doing studies and sort of research with panels of kids, we see the awareness of channels isn't, isn't really that high. They know their shows, but they also know where to find them. So I think the branding um, question is, it, it is important. We, you know, it's important to communicate what your, cha your channel is about and who, who you're trying to bring in. So, you know, Boomerang, for example, is a, is a family channel. It's sort of very much the home of mutual viewing, as we call it. So we, but we have classic shows, things that are appealing to parents. So we make sure that those character, characters are front and centre to draw people in. But yeah, as you say, like it, it shows that people are, are there for. I just think the branding probably is more of an indicator for parents to know, oh, this, this, show, this channel is about this. So... Cartoon Network, for example, is it's pretty well trusted with with parents. So they know that if they park their kids in front of um, Cartoon Network, it's a safe environment for them to be. You know, they know what they're going to get, even if they don't know exactly what show's coming up next. So it yeah. is a real balance. But I can't pretend like for Boomerang, can't pretend that we've got Tom and Jerry and Scooby Doo. You know, all the sort of classics. Sure. We can't pretend that those aren't the draw. Yeah. Okay. Tell us, just finally coming to a conclusion here, Fran, um, you're lucky enough to work on brands with a, with a fairly big heritage in terms of cartoon networking, in terms of boomerang. Um, how important is it that they are seen to be this safe space that you spoke about? And the, the only example I can compare it to is when Radio 4 changes its schedule, no matter what, there is outcry from the audience. Do you get a similar sort of outcry or are people less passionate on, that, on the brands that you work with, I suppose? Um, I wouldn't say less passionate. Probably, you know, there's a certain safety in, in the fact that social media is not so, um, it's not aimed at kids. So we're not probably going to get the, the absolute, like, anger that a lot of other brands would get but um yeah people people still comment you know they 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 know what they want and they know what they expect of our channels and we you know we try to always keep that in mind with what we're putting forward so 
I mean, you know, we've put on a lot of show marathons because, you know, we see that like a specific show is just doing so well. So we try yeah. and cater to them. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you've kind of got to sort of um, cater to sort of new audiences. You're trying to bring people in while keeping everyone happy. Sure. In the same way that marketing people, media planner buyers are told to think about the plan from a strategic level. When you're based on the commercial side of a TV operator, uh, operation such as yourself, are you thinking about the part in the wider picture you can play? Or are you thinking about, if you like, the job that you're doing? Do you see what I mean? Are you, are you conscious that over there social media will be happening, over there some radio will be happening? Or, or, or is that not necessarily your thing to think about? I mean, quite often we're not necessarily involved in sort of the conversations that are going on elsewhere, but we always try right at the briefing stage mm. to get a sense of what else is going, going on elsewhere, other platforms, other um, forms of media, and, you know, what the key messaging is. So we might not know exactly, you know, what posts are going out what day, but as long as we know what um, the key message and the key aim is of, of each part of the activity is, we try and focus on that, absolutely. We, we don't want our campaigns to be sort of standalone and therefore less successful. We want to amplify everything that our sure. brands are bringing to us. So yeah, we try and keep, uh, stay aware of what else is going, uh, what else is going on. But, you know, we just, I am a, it can be a bit head down, you know, focus on. No, I get that. Yeah, yeah. sometimes. Finally, friend, last question from me. I just kind of want you to future gaze a bit. Let's look at two or three pointers um, for things that we've learned this year that we should absolutely continue to understand as we progress into 2021? I mean, I would echo what um, Joseph and Kat have already said about emotional connection. I think that certainly the ads that I've sort of pointed out that really resonated with me were things that really um, showed kind of a connection to what's going on, but not hammering it home. So I think there needs to be that balance found. I think 2021, this isn't going away anytime soon, but we don't necessarily need the endless adverts of like another Zoom call, you know, ha ha ha, we're all in this together. We, like, we know this now, but what we want is maybe something with a slight level of optimism, yeah. awareness, and definitely a socially conscious um, message. But as Joseph said, like, don't insert that into something that really doesn't need to. People, people see it, it's so clunky. So optimism and um consciousness yes uh for the sake of it no um, i'm completely with you that for the sake of it line yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely not where i i don't think it's it's valuable i think it just highlights something that's lacking tone and intent when you're looking at messaging now are almost more important than the message do you know what i mean i think yeah. there's I think the cliche is whereas content is king, it's almost context is King Kong, you know? Let's leave it on there. <laughs> Fran, I really appreciate you doing that. It's a fascinating chat. Really good to kind of get under the skin of TV and then you're the brands that you look after more directly. And we'll speak soon. Thank you so much. Last bit now. We're going to keep you for about another 10 minutes more. And I think it's very much worth it. We, as a business, Rocket, we used to be called The Big Shot. We've been around for just over 10 years. And I think we've probably worked with our next guest in small ways and increasing ways for about the last 
five years, something like that. This person is called Hannah Snow. She is, depending on what the current Vogue title could be, she's a real life young person. She's a social content creator. You might use the term influencer. I was keen to talk to Hannah because we worked with her on a few awesome campaigns over the last few months. I also wanted to talk about the kind of social trends that she is seeing from the perspective of a creator, of an influencer. Hannah, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, don't be silly. Hannah, I'm going to make a silly point seeing as we're into the third session of the day. And it's going to be this, right? It's great news that everybody's after more authentic content because influencers cost a lot less than a proper TV ad. So therefore, they can just make the TV ad. Have I got the strategy right? Is that broadly what everybody's talking about? Oh, something like that. <laughs> okay, fine. What do you understand by the need for more authentic content? You've got a TikTok channel, you're across to other social media media platforms. Yeah, tell us tell us why brands you think need authentic content. I mean, for me, um, brand deals always have to be like really authentic. Like I can't do I can't really work with a brand if it's not if our values don't align um, and like our ideas don't gel or like we're trying to push each other in a direction that we don't want to go. So I feel like authenticity has always been really important. But for brands, it's um, I think it's going to be even more important for them to try and get into smaller digital spaces and in the same way creators do kind of infiltrate communities that are like um, more close knit and they can have a stronger and tighter and more intimate message with. Are you constantly thinking about the different requirements for content on different social media? So there's some stuff that you would do on Instagram, but you wouldn't do elsewhere, for example. Is that a conscious thought when you're creating content? Um, for me it is, yeah. I'm. It's probably slightly different for each creator, but for me, I, I do feel like I have slightly different audiences on each platform. But actually something I've noticed um, this year is that more brands have been moving towards multi-platform campaigns and it's just become a lot more normal. It's in most of my briefs now, I'll be doing cross-platform campaigns. And it's really nice for me, actually. I really enjoy tying my audiences together. And if the brand has a budget to include more of my um, like different social channels, then that's nice. And I think also it's important for brands to create more of a lasting relationship with the creator that way. And um, it just feels more authentic if you're promoting across all your platforms with one brand. It's just, yeah. It feels good. <laughs> good. We've actually got a question, Hannah. Um, do please post a question and they will get to us. Um, we've actually had a question from, I think this person's name is Sophie. Yeah, Sophie has asked, has there been a shift in the way that brands or agencies have briefed you over the last six months? Do you think in a different world, things are different now? Have you noticed a difference? Other than what I was saying about working across different platforms, I feel like... This year, there's been a lot more kind of, it's been hard to navigate navigate the different rules and regulations and trying to um, work with a brand that is, I know is being safe and is promoting all the right things and like, you know, social distancing and keeping on the ball with, mm. um, yeah, just like the health and safety stuff and just understanding each other as well. Um, I feel like, 
briefs have been a lot more precise, I've noticed. Hannah, forgive me, it sounds like you're being very polite. Precise means prescriptive. And the one thing <laughs> I know about having worked with social content creators is you don't want to be too prescriptive. But you're saying that actually people are reversing back to type and being quite prescriptive, are you? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of like all the COVID stuff and like trying to keep on trying not to upset anyone with like, I don't know, it's really, it's just really hard. It's been really hard to navigate this year. Um, I've had to completely change my content up. I haven't been able to like collab with people and just keeping it all in, keeping it all in perspective of a brand. It's, um, it's important for them to, to like make sure that the creator's on the same level. So I won't, ask you to comment on the global macroeconomic thing of uh, issues around TikTok and bike dance. I won't even ask you to comment on the political side of TikTok and bike dance. Oh my God. A question. Do you think that the explosion we have seen in TikTok is really as simple as a load of creators got bored during lockdown, so set up a TikTok channel. Does it, do you think it's sped up the process of TikTok getting as big and in the co- cultural zeitgeist as it's got? Or, yeah, were you predicting TikTok to be this big this quickly? Um, I think I was always predicting TikTok to just get bigger and bigger, but I think with this year and more people spending so much time online all the time. Uh, it was kind of like the perfect storm for TikTok to become like this huge creature that everyone you like everyone knows about now. Um, so yeah, I just think like a few things aligned, and and now it's just kind of taken over a little bit. Um, I don't know. I feel like it is kind of plateauing now with its popularity. I feel like people on TikTok. They know what they want from the app. They know what their communities are within there. And it just feels like it's kind of, it might have plateaued a little bit in terms of popularity, but um, it's not going to go away. That's for sure. (laughs) You think it's the real deal. Okay. So let's do a bit of future gazing with you, Hannah. We've just had a question from Lauren Kay. Lauren, we'll come to your question in one second. I just want to kind of have this helicopter view. And that is Hannah whether it be from a creator's perspective or an audience perspective, where do you see different content on different social channels coming? And almost as part B of that question, are there other platforms that are going to follow closely on, on, the, on the end of TikTok that an old person like me hasn't yet heard of? So kind of double header, what content is going to work well on the social platforms and what's next? What's the next big social platform? So there has been a huge explosion in live streaming on almost every single platform. Live streaming is like the big thing at the moment. Games, like gaming live streaming, like Twitch is huge, like even bigger than like it was last year, which I couldn't have seen it getting bigger, but now it is just up there with one of the top um, kind of formats. Uh, I think most platforms, if they're not already promoting live streaming, they're going to do that. Like TikTok's promoting live streaming, YouTube's promoting live streaming. Even Instagram has now Mm. um, incorporated gifting into their live streams, which I didn't see coming, but it makes sense. And um, another thing I think that is going to be pushed is educational content. I know for a fact that TikTok are Mm. promoting more and more hashtags and making official videos from creators that are doing educational stuff. So I think that's going to be a big thing. 
yeah I think um it's just hard at the moment to have any kind of like in-person meetings um obviously because of like social distancing so I'm very interested to see how like conventions and YouTube events like playlist VidCon somewhere mm. in the city here in the UK how are they gonna um, in the city Hannah Tom Burns would be cross <laughs> <laughs> how how are they gonna um replace these yeah because they had thousands and thousands of people going to these events so I think you were asking about up-and-coming platforms mm. then I think things that are going to replace this like I know there's a couple of there's one called Fundo I'm not sure how they're doing, but I, I know that they are trying to um, kind of replace the convention style meeting. <laughs> Let's take, we've had a couple of questions. So Lauren Kay's question was, do you prefer it when you're given more creative freedom when creating content? And how often do you offer your own suggestions to brands on content ideas? And we've had another question, which is quite simply, and I genuinely love your take on this, Hannah, which is, do you think all brands should be on TikTok? So first question around, do you like the creative freedom when responding to a, to a brief, to a potential commercial project? And should all brands be on TikTok? Um, so I feel like if there's a, I feel like I like coming up with the concept and because a lot of my content is always art based and creative anyway brands that want to work with me are usually looking for me to just create the concept which I love um, and then they'll approve it um, or just kind of will work together on that but that being said I think if the brand knows exactly what they don't want then they should be as clear as possible with that because it's very frustrating from a creative point of view to spend so much time coming up with content and ideas and then um, to be told oh no this isn't what we were looking for so I feel like if the if the idea is very as concise as possible and then you're given creative freedom that's the best option and then the second question was, was should all brands be on TikTok I think it's a fascinating one because I think you see a fair, we've literally seen, looking at TikTok, you've seen brands arrive, create four videos and then not do anything. Oh, sorry, four TikToks, there we are, stuff on the rest for me. Do you think it's important for all brands to get there or do you think you need to have a solid idea of what you're going to do once you get there first? I feel like brands should always have a solid idea of what they're going to be on a um, platform before they come on. But with TikTok, I see absolutely no no reason why you shouldn't be on TikTok as a brand yeah. because it's um, it's huge. It's like just as big as Instagram and and YouTube on mobile at this point, especially for a young audience. Like it's it's far more popular amongst young younger people than Instagram is, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think all brands should be on TikTok if they aren't already because there's so much potential to go viral on there and it's not it's not too hard if you if you work with the right um concepts and the right creators. I've got one more question on kind of the the industry standard and then I want to come to talking to you as a real life young person, Hannah. Um, <laughs> um, because I, I know that you can articulate some of uh, some thoughts a lot better than I can. Let's start with the industry question. You must be one of about seven people only that haven't got their own podcast in case I haven't noticed yours. <laughs> Do you think this 
proliferation of the audio space was always going to happen? Do you just think it's radio by a different name? I mean, just talking to my eight-year-old son, he, he says he never listens to the radio, but he, does, he can cite BBC Six Music in the car and that mummy listens to Radio 2 on the Alexa. So this audio proliferation, is it just over-obsessing about the medium as opposed to the content that's coming out of it? And when are you going to start your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I find it so interesting, the rise in podcasts. Um, I actually do have a podcast uh, with my I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's like we've only done uh, maybe two or three episodes, but it's a very casual one. Um, I want to do more, but yeah. Um, I think podcast has been a huge success. Um, and it was interesting you were talking about Cartoon Network because I feel like um, podcasts are going to take so many different forms and I feel like there's so much more to come from them and just audio, like the audio formats in general, like I'm so interested to see what the different kind of beats they become because on the Cartoon Network there was um, a, a cartoon called Midnight Gospel which actually took a podcast and made it into a cartoon and I think there's so much potential for stuff like that. But um, yeah, in terms of why they, they've become so popular i think probably because um it's educational and people are spending more time online people want to kind of feed their mind feed their brain and podcast is such an easy way to do that i think they're very very successful how long have you been creating content hannah remind me um i think it's i think i started in 2017. okay yeah. so we didn't work together five years ago it must have been anyway there we go fine it must have been <laughs> I just want to ask a question around how, if you like, this year has affected the psychology more broadly of younger people. I know it's ridiculous asking you to speak as uh, an entire generation or age bracket, but it's not going to stop me doing it. I theorise that actually, I've, when we were locked down last time, I had my beautiful wife and children in the house. I have enough space to not literally swing a cat. I want to talk about kind of how this was been worse for younger people. You've alluded to it already, but whilst talking about almost the industry that you're in and that social events aren't happening, social in the city, VidCon. Have you seen that reflected in your friends and in your personal life? Do you think that, forgive the turn of phrase, that the shit people are going, to is, are going through is, is starting to hit the fan a bit? What effect do you think it's having? Um, I, I mean, I think it's different for all individuals, but like, yeah, it's absolutely affected everyone. I think, um, including content creators and the way that we have to mold the content we're creating and the way that we're presenting ourselves online. I think it's, it's, it has obviously affected the whole generation in ways that we couldn't have foreseen. Um, and I think it's just kind of brought problems to the surface and also good things to the surface that were already there, but now they're more transparent, I guess. Like people were always spending a lot of time online and there's good and, th good, good and bad things about being online. But um, in a way it's a blessing in disguise because now I think a lot of people are, and young people are turning their attention to the possibilities of burnout and spending too much time online and creating healthy habits and making sure that you don't, that you've got like the screen time in check, you know? And I think a smart thing for brands to do as well would be um, to be on board with this and to make sure that they're addressing, 
you know, like serving people that want to take care of themselves, their mental health and like, you know, burnout and, and self-care and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would be a smart thing for brands to do to serve the younger generation going through this. Again, I told you that you'd articulate it better than me because you're cleverer than me, but you have. But I think the one thing that people read that I do think is accurate is what has happened is COVID has not necessarily changed behaviours, but it's sped behaviours up. So you sense that remote working was always going to happen and people were going to offer a bigger degree of flexibility. COVID has forced that issue. You sense people were always going to talk about mental health as transparently and openly as before, but COVID has forced that issue. You sense that young people were always going to have the need for real true connection, IRL, if anybody knows what that still means, in real life. But it's forced people to reconsider and reappraise that. And what you were saying, Hannah, about brands having an understanding of these processes that have been sped up, I think is, yeah, very accurate and very true. Yeah, I think it's... um everyone that was speaking before was talking about having a more kind of personal authentic connection and I think that's going to be a big key where it comes from being as transparent as possible brands being very self-aware um that they are advertising and kind of looking out for their consumers and and it's just so important for the for young people I do feel I do try my best to be a good influence for them and I think brands should do the same Hannah, um, plug your podcast. What's it called? I will listen to it myself. Oh, no. Um, it's a really silly one. It's called Cursed Conversations. But That's I think I'm going to, I want to try and do a, like a proper educational one at some point. Um, I'm just kind of, I've got so many different things on my plate. I'm talking I'm about what the educational one could be. The only reason I say that is because it sounds brilliant. You're one of the best talents out there. So why don't we work on it as a business together? So let's let's do this sidebar and think about that for another time. Yes. <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. Thanks for having no me. Worries. Um, sorry I've gone over time everybody that was the awesome Hannah Snow find her on social media she's brilliant to work with for brands thank you so much for your questions we really appreciate that it's great to see it live and them coming in you know it's almost like a panel it's almost like you're really there um, thank you so much to our awesome panelists what I would ask you to do is follow us on LinkedIn to find out when the next one's going to be we try to do these quarterly so that would rather point to this being maybe just maybe February time next year I think we might look back at Christmas in February if you know anybody that would be a brilliant speaker to jump on the panel to talk about Christmas or indeed other marketing and, and, and youth culture things then do it just remains me to thank the awesome Rocket team who were brilliant as ever, the awesome delegates who were really, really good. I thought the TV chat and the brand chat at the start were great as well. And um, thank you for spending your Friday morning with us. Um, do try and stay safe in lockdown. And um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. This is a Rocket Audio production.